0: Okay, this is a 30 second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years, and anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24 7. That company is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers, and in 54321, I'm out of time. Now, Podcast One brings you Spikes Car Radio. A downloadable Cars and Coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spike's Car Radio. Uh, Got a treat for you today. Um, You probably don't know this about our little podcast. We have a booking department. uh, Booking department here, at podcast one that works very hard. They send me uh, a lot of pitches uh, every week. At least, I don't know, what do you think, Will, like five or six pitches a week? And I would say uh, that I probably reject five or six uh, pitches a week. But last week they sent me one of my former Seinfeld uh, colleagues, um, Larry Charles. And uh, I instantly said yes. I'll tell you why. He's got a new project at Netflix, but also because Larry and I uh, both wrote for Seinfeld. But we both wrote at very different times. Larry... As you know, you lo- that I like to use this word seminal. He's one of the seminal Seinfeld <laughs> writers, and I'm one of the closers. I came in and closed it down. But really, Larry was there on the front lines in the beginning. Um, you may also know him as the director of the uh, Borat movies. I think Bruno, too. You did all of those, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's so much I want to talk to you about, Larry. And Great. I feel like a- a- as far as Seinfeld writers, I-, I probably know the least about you of any- than any of the other writers, I think. Right, ha- happy to share. All right, well, let's start you know, I want to get into the new project and we'll get into that because it's cool. Um, by the way, let me just uh, if I could digress, sure sure. Uh, when you said you were one of the closers,
1: it reminded me, like, when I was a kid, you know, when Sanford and Son and those kind of shows were kind of reaching the end of their yes. runs? They had these two producers. They were very well known at the time, and they were known as the Undertakers. <laughs> and they would come in and kind of wrap the show up, make it look pretty for that last
0: season. Right. So. Did It It didn't feel like Seinfeld ever got to that point, I, right? It never did. It never no, did. That's amazing. It, we, were, we were maybe there. I know on the inside we felt like we were like the l- last two years we were kind of like, all right, we feel like it's wrapping up. But the audience hasn't figured it out yet, that's and then right. Jerry called it. Um, well, here's here's my first question: yep. Are you a Larry jo- a guy or a Jerry guy? Larry David guy or a Jerry Seinfeld guy? Larry. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, You're well, Larry I, guy.
1: La- yeah, Larry was uh, on on Fridays. That was my first job, and that's where I met him, and he took me under his wing, and so that's my, my Larry my my Larry connection. Ah, uh, okay. He's been like a, I, I often say he's been maybe the most important person in my adult life. I met him when I was 22 you know he's the one that's really where do you where do you meet Larry David At Fridays. He was cast on Fridays. I used to sell jokes in front of the comedy store. Uh, before there were computers, I would I would handwrite jokes on a legal pad really? and sell those jokes and one of those comedians got a job on the TV show Fridays. Yeah. And that's where Larry was and I met him and we immediately gravitated from the same neighborhood, that golden triangle of Jewish comedy—Brighton yep. Beach, the Jamaica of comedy, really, in some ways. And Larry and, was
0: a writer on the show, or and, a, a, and a performer.
1: So he's a, a very writer versatile, performer. very versatile performer. Uh, he put a wig on, he'd be Han Solo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was amazing, actually. He did Nixon. I mean, he was, uh, he was great. I've always been fascinated by Fridays. Now, was that ABC yes. that was trying to do Saturday Night Live and they, their big yes. idea was, we'll do it on Friday, yes. right? That yes. was the big idea. Very how did that show, you know, we, we know that like Saturday Night Live is writers start to congregate and then pitch Monday, Tuesday and work the sketches and then go live on Saturday night. How, Fridays, well, how did that work? Was, um, it, there, was, was it a live show?
1: It was a live show. Okay. On Mondays, the person would deliver the cocaine. Right. And then um, – <laughs> the sketch- I used to intern from him on Saturday
0: Night Live, by the way. <laughs> the sketches I know that would, guy. The
1: sketches would be written. Or, you know, There was a lot of competition, as there probably was on Saturday Night Live right. also. You wanted to get sketches on. You wanted to get sketches on the first hour. Because that last half hour, half hour was like kind of a death knell right. for the sketches. So there was a lot of competition for the opening sketch and for the guest star sketches, and so it was it was a good, healthy competition. It kind of forced your writing
0: to reach a different level. Who is your competition? It's just Johnny Carson, right? There's, that's the only guy in late night in that moment. On, yeah, at that Friday time nights.
1: there was uh, there was nothing really. It was a, it was a, it was very open actually. A Nightline hadn't come on yet, even. right? So those kind of shows hadn't even developed yet, and only Johnny Carson was the only Competition, really right. At that point, wow. we actually, at some point, and Saturday Night Live itself was really in a a kind of a, a low ebb, mm-hmm. as I recall at that time too. So it was really ripe for for a, a show like this, and right. it, it worked out okay for every a couple season
0: years. of Saturday Night Live. Feels like a low ebb when you're part of it, and then you look <laughs> back at it and you go, "Oh my God, that was the golden season." <laughs> well, Larry and I both have very different
1: experiences of Fridays because right. he was already a veteran comedian, and he just didn't truck any nonsense. Right? I was 22; I'd been a bell that was my last job and so i was just i'm th- in mean, show business man i was thrilled funny. yeah i loved it you know i had a great time
0: did um i met was, the clash and i got to hang out with these rock stars i there. know it's great it yeah. really is a great thing to be a part of those sketch shows when you're young and you're in new york i i remember every moment of snl i yeah. loved it did, who else was was julia on that show too no. She wasn't. So no. she was SNL cast yes, later on, right? Yes, okay. yes. I guess I don't remember that moment. So well. <laughs> Michael Richards was on that. Was Michael on that. Richards. Yes. Right. Oh, my God. Michael what Richards. A crew. Was on so wait, that show. what was Larry like pitching in the room? Was he as volatile as he is on stage or was as a stand-up where he would yell at the audience after if they didn't get a joke?
1: Well, you can imagine that's exactly how we bonded <laughs> because we'd go into the, into those big
0: pitch meetings yes.
1: and we would wind up both ha- be the people that had the biggest fights with the producers always <laughs> about what we should be doing and we can't, we can't compromise and right. we have these crazy. So he was much more intense about it at that time. I think over the years and success – uh, and time have kind of tempered that a little bit. Okay,
0: let's flash forward to Seinfeld then, yes. because I've heard stories, and I and I don't know if any of this is true or not, but I've heard. I remember being on the show and hearing about the early days of Seinfeld, and hearing that things didn't really start working right until Larry Charles got here. Now I know I know you might want to answer that in a very humble way and have some humility, but don't <laughs> was it you know because Larry and Jerry had never really run a show before, and you know maybe they were a little in over their heads. I don't, fill, fill me in on a little of that. That history there.
1: Well, that's very flattering. Thank you. First of all, secondly, I just said such, it was a rumor. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and I'm going to put it to rest now. Um, <laughs> but th- this building actually is where Castle Rock. Uh, right. was yeah, that's right. so We that's used right. to first meet in this building so I spent a lot of time here actually. Yeah.
0: Uh, initially, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen... So wait, you were here talking about the show before it was on the air Absolutely. with Larry and Jerry. For a long time, right. And, and, and who else was part of that creative team? At, at first, uh, I didn't... Was saw... Rob Reiner I heard was wa- around were, at that All point. the
1: Castle Rock guys hovered around right. but they really didn't get too involved with what we were doing at right. that time. It wasn't until later that they really were kind of inserting themselves. Glenn, and, and Glenn Steve, Padnick,
0: Padnick is the greatest. and
1: Alan... Uh, uh, what was his name Adam uh, Scheinman yep uh, they were probably the two
0: most uh, uh, outside people who were involved. And, yeah. and Steve Bannon showed up to a lot of meetings, Steve didn't? Bannon was always there, always pitching. <laughs> were you, like me, surprised <laughs> when you read Steve Bannon and Seinfeld in the uh, same new one? I was. I was. I don't know what uh, you mean. How was he involved in this yes, show?
1: exactly. He's profiting. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's actually making more money than yeah. anybody. Which it made no crazy. sense,
0: right? Yeah. And now people think he was part of the that initial team, but yes. he wasn't. So Maybe you this... were in at the very beginning, and Larry brought you in there, right? Yes, he
1: did. At first, he tried to bring me in. When it was still just a before the pilot. And he had never done a sitcom, and I had never done a sitcom, wow. and so they would not allow him to hire me. Mm-hmm. Then after those first four episodes, which, you know, was a whole saga in itself, he was finally <clears> able <throat> to take control of the show, and at that time he was able to hire me. So he really made wow. me a sitcom writer, and later on with Curb, it was the same thing. He made me a director. So he really changed the course right, of my life. Right. Very, very specifically. Well, he,
0: he, yeah, you know, when you say that, Larry made you a writer, I remember, uh, you know, him just saying, I don't want you to come up. With stories, so I want you to come in and tell stories. And what a relief that was to hear, because I was in over my head at that point too. I'd been a joke writer for Letterman for five years, and I get hired on this number one sitcom that, frankly, I hadn't watched a lot because I was always working. And was terrified most of the time until Larry said, just come and tell more of these soup Nazi stories. Right, right. You know, it's like, really? It is, you're
1: going to make episodes out of that? And it is terrifying, too. Yeah, and, and, yeah. He, and that was a great thing about Larry, too. He was as terrified as I was. Yeah, Everybody yeah. was terrified. We didn't know what we were doing. Right. You know, and yet at the same time, we had a very fatalistic attitude. The show will go on for 13 episodes. It'll get canceled. <laughs> so let's just do whatever we want. We'll be, we'll be free. You know? Right. And that really was, that abandon really sort of set the tone for the show. Yeah and he
0: really felt it. I remember at the end of the seasons that it, it, we had one season of overlap I think and and he was always so relieved that they managed to make 22 episodes. He was just like oh, finally yeah. we did it cuz he cared so much about the comedy as did Jerry. But at the end of it he you know he was almost disappointed the show would get picked up.
1: Absolutely. He was very disappointed. Well, you know, the story about, you know the story about Wednesday nights. We were originally on Wednesday nights at 9.30, losing to Jake and the Fat Man. Right. And NBC and Castle Rock come to him. Mm -hmm. And say to him, we're going to put you on Thursday after Cheers. Oh, my God. And everybody's beaming. And he's like, anybody who doesn't watch us on Wednesday can go fuck themselves. Right. That's what he actually said.
0: Right.
1: He said to Warren Littlefield's face I was standing there. So they said, no, Larry, come on. And they talked him into going on Thursday nights. So he was always resistant. Right. One year they had the Olympics. So they came to him. Warren said, could you do two extra episodes this year yes. to tie in with the Olympics? He's like, you got to be kidding me. But I wound up writing those episodes because wow. we wound up doing them. And I had
0: like – What were the episodes? Do you remember? The, the trip. The keys oh, leading into the trip. The trip part one and the you, trip part two.
1: Exactly. And, and I had the most autonomy I probably ever had on the show yeah. because he really didn't want anything to do with <laughs> so it. So it worked out very well were you, Weren't you
0: confused? Because this was the first time I was seeing network executives ever. Right? I just, as the receptionist of Saturday Night Live, I never met them. Yes. As a writer on Letterman, I was always shielded from them. So I came into this situation where we'd be having lunch, and Jerry would parade, and Larry would parade the network executives in, (laughs) and they would do these pitches, like you're saying. Yes. We'd like to have a crossover with a single guy. Yes. And he'd go, come around, writers, writers, the network would like to pitch, the network (laughs) would like to pitch. And then he would basically humiliate these guys right in front of us. They would blush and go, I had to come, I had to pitch it. I know you're not going to do it, but at least it's done. I remember... Warren Litterfield came and uh, was serving us eggs. You know, he's like, We're <laughs> having that's what the president of the network does. So you know, a lot of us had trouble leaving that show and going off into the real world yes. and were perceived as very, very arrogant, but we were just doing what we were taught. We were all in our way like yeah. our own bubble boys. We yeah, were bubble yeah. boys. We really. didn't know. Yeah. I just thought yeah. that's the way you talked to yeah. executives. You you didn't really you were not to humiliate them, but you were you were there to defend the creative on your show and they were relegated off to the side. Boy, that was not true. That was not true at well, all. Well, they
1: were, I remember them coming to him. I remember Warren coming to him about you was saying crossover episodes yeah. and tying things together. There was a blackout night, yeah, right? And they went to him, and it's <laughs> like they knew halfway through pitching him the blackout episode that it wasn't going to work. They just stopped
0: and walked out. They gave up before they even finished. So the the baby shower, yes. the statue, the heart attack, the fix up, the keys, the trip. Part one and part two, The Airport, The Old Man, The Brist, The Stall, The Fire. Those are your episodes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's about 10 episodes? I think there's over...
1: 18 altogether. Wow. Yeah, All right.
0: 18 or so. So yeah. you were on from season one to season five? Well, see,
1: I get confused. Like, I don't know what season, at the time, I never right, there thought were six about episodes. Right? Yeah, you had like four and then 13 and then the 22. And so I worked on about 80 episodes. That's, that's how I wow. kind of. Uh, um... And why did you leave the show? I reached the point in the last season that I was there, you know, the pressure of trying to come up with the stories. And I started to feel um, that I was not feeling fresh about it. Right. Not feeling like I was breaking through and not coming up with ideas that were exciting me. And I was getting kind of I was reaching the the wall. Uh And I'm the kind of person, I'm not a career oriented person. So I wasn't thinking, well, this (laughs) is something I should just stick with this for the rest of my life. Right. Right. Which I could have done. I'm sure they were happy. We were all happy. But they knew I was also a hungry person and a kind of restless person and I felt at that point creatively I needed to do something else and I decided to move on. And you you, you told them? I, yeah, I said,
0: I think I have to I have to go. And, and they that were like, must have been upsetting to those guys. They were very supportive,
1: once, though, always. Larry, yeah, against Jerry. Yeah, they say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I
0: can, you know, I know what it's like to let writers go that are great and are performing for you, get what you're doing, you know. Yeah. They're they're what help you sleep at night. A guy like you is helping Larry and Jerry sleep at night. Well, I'm right? happy to do that. But, but, I was, but we were lucky. <laughs> and then lucky. you disappear, and then you're like, ah, oh, what are we going to do this season, but right? But you
1: and Dave and all those guys, Alec and Jeff and all those guys – showed up yeah. and really like came in and recre- it's like the the giants won a super bowl with one team <laughs> but they created another team to win a super bowl
0: and that's what you yeah. guys did also i don't know i really felt it when larry left though i mean i enjoyed and i'm a jerry guy i've always been a jerry guy i ne i love larry and i love la- larry's writing but he and i never really got friendly um but I, I, I'm i such a fan of his, and I was so – I just wanted two two more years, two more seasons with him to just learn to do what he's doing. Yeah. Because he was so good at these simple little writing tips that had yeah. nothing to do with it. You know, just stuff I had never heard before. Well,
1: his, he has an incredible instinct, which I, I don't know. On stage, I guess in his early days, it was very raw and right. not refined yet. But as far as the show went, he had such a, uh, a sharp and well-honed instinct yeah. about tone so he could do the math masturbation episode the contest and not have any notes right i mean that was something very very hard that needle that thread was very hard to needle or needle was hard to thread whatever the it was difficult for him and he did it over and over and over again and redefined it
0: like in a scene where you go where he would go no that's too funny you know what? Yes. We've got too many laughs in this scene. Let's pull two or three out. Yes. And I'm also still... it, would
1: dominate, it would dominate and you would lose track of really what the uh, – there's right. a bigger laugh to be had sometimes. Yeah. You didn't want to get distracted by an early laugh and lose your way to the bigger laugh that was down the road. That
0: was the thing I he left before I could understand it. I'm still not quite <laughs> sure because I've never heard someone say it's too funny. Let's pull some out. But then you watch the episode and you see what he means. But I always wanted to know how did he see that so quickly before we got to the end. I think
1: he is somebody, unlike most people, unlike me, who's very self-conscious, he's somebody who has complete trust of his instincts. He doesn't really second-guess himself when it comes to his creative choices.
0: So after Seinfeld, right, you take a little vacation – (laughs) <laughs> then where do you end up, Matt? Is it Mad About You? I went
1: to Mad About You. I I thought you know I was in the middle of a marriage, very difficult. And... I can write these
0: stories, but about marriage, yeah. I right. thought
1: you know I don't you know Seinfeld was never about any kind of emotion. It was right. just it was avoided at all costs, like a bad allergy. And mm-hmm. here was a show that was all about emotion, right? So I thought well that, that could be a challenge. Really working with the actors and being the showrunner uh, was an interesting challenge to me. And I had this thing in the back of my mind of directing, but I kind mm-hmm. of saw that fading away as I kept on moving in these sitcoms mm-hmm. and show running for these sitcoms. So I did that for a couple of seasons. And you've also
0: got Riser here who's a smart funny stand up who Absolutely. knows to write. Yes, so that yes. is also and also trying <laughs> to make you it excellent. Yes, right?
1: making it excellent. <laughs> that was a very hard show to write. Great writers on the show. Ginji Cohan was on that mm-hmm. show. Great, great writers, but it was a writer's room. Right. And unlike Seinfeld, we never had a writer's room when I was at
0: Seinfeld. Yeah. And it so was... you
1: kind of wrote your own thing. How I mean... did it work
0: then when you say that? Now, was it just still Larry and Jerry? You turn in the script to them, they would work it out and call yes. you in occasionally to yes. fix problems. Exactly. Yeah. That it was, was a it. Great system. That was it. A yeah. Great system. And and it it allowed, great. Me, yeah. allowed me to take vacations, go skiing, and fail. I remember getting a call going. I never went anywhere. Larry, Larry and Jerry are looking for you. I go, I'm in Vail, Ski. <laughs> With who? The, the rest of the writing staff. What are you doing there? We're doing your script this week. Oh, well, someone should have told me that. But yeah. can't you guys hand?
1: <laughs> no, I never left the office. I was. Yeah. We, we lived there at that time. Very, yeah. very much. So. No,
0: we were there an awful lot. That yeah. was just one weekend. We were stealing yeah, two yeah, days to yeah. just yeah. get away. But we were there. I, I don't know if it was like this for you, but in the uh, in the in the summertime, we had Saturdays and sometimes off and Sundays definitely. And then when we crossed into January, it was seven days a week. Yeah, and because you had right also scripts night, right? that
1: didn't work out that yeah. had to be worked on yeah. on the weekend. The schedule may have changed by the time you got there. Also. But but... But the weekend was like work days really for us because the show was taped like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I can't remember anymore. But it wasn't taped on a Friday night. Right, right. So Mm -hmm. that kind of switched our week also. Our writing week was really thrown off. But he was known – Larry was known – privately secretly by the staff not the writers but by the rest of the staff as scrooge because he would want to work on <laughs> christmas eve we were going to finish that script before we left you know and you know the rest of the crew was waiting to go home
0: and he had that uh, where did he stay at the sportsman's lodge sportsman's lodge did he stay there when you were yeah he so lived that's to, right from the very beginning right, right well he had a house uh, in the a, in, a, in the west
1: vantage somewhere actually he had a couple of houses right for a while there and then he got married he got married to laurie yeah. You know, so his life started to change a lot at that time But also. Yeah,
0: see, to give context to the listeners, this is, we're talking about the show shoots in Studio City in the other end of LA, West LA, is where the houses are and you raise a family. <laughs> <laughs> there started to be many nights where Larry would stay in the hotel Yeah. and he just liked it. And and uh, But, you know, I can understand that because we were having so much fun on this show. It was really fun to be there. Everybody was so kind and, you know, the, Gamble and Pross uh, are the guys who brought yeah. me in. Yeah. They were there yeah. to kind of help me figure it yeah. out. They're the bridge
1: people really because they were yeah. there the last season, I'm there, and they kind of bridged through Yeah, huge, they, your they group. did.
0: They got me on to the Letterman, they got me into The Simpsons. Yeah. They were, you know, it was a time where there weren't a lot of comedy writers out there trying to do this. They're, great, now, guys. Look, They're great guys. they great guys. Now it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what it, what is it. I don't know what it is, really. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. So. I don't know. Well, your new comedy on Netflix is the first thing I've seen that I've wanted to watch in a long time. Oh, thank you. Right? Thank you. I had no idea that you were going down this road, but when I saw it, it made sense to me. I think I, somewhere here I found a a, tra- a trailer for it. Yeah. I could even play here. Let me see. I've got the Rolling Stone. Thing. Oh, here we go. This is Larry Charles, Dangerous World of Comedy. Filled with
1: hate and violence and war, and amazingly enough, comedy. When you are not funny, you are what in English? You are not funny.
0: <laughs> Borat, Bruno, and Religious, all three of my faves.
1: brave people to make dangerous comedy
0: it's a therapy the little laughter takes away the stress
1: risking their lives just to make people laugh you said that i didn't say <laughs> comedians and actors tv and filmmakers who make comedy in places where it doesn't belong get people
0: to laugh just a little about that which might be the most sacred that we might get them to open up a little bit
1: you discovered your comic sensibility as a tool for survival. You talk to the Western equivalent. It's like, oh, I did a little show for my grandparents, or I was in a talent show at school. Spoiled, spoiled. You're right. <laughs> we live our lives.
0: We like doing our nails too. <laughs> I still don't understand that shot. How do you get that shot? That was a woman in a burka. She's a comedian skating on a river. Yes. We deal with the job wow. girls know this but, you know,
1: this you is know, a burn victim books. comedian. A veteran. Uh, that, is
0: this the guy that ran for president?
1: No, no. That's no, a- he, uh, but he was injured in Iraq. Wow. After his, his fourth tour of duty, like right. a week into his fourth tour of duty, right, and he has a, a a landmine go off.
0: Well, I, you know, I watch a lot of Netflix, and I was just an hour ago in a meeting with a piece of talent. We were talking about what works, in our opinion, on Netflix and not, and I, and I said, comedy is difficult, unscripted is difficult for, for them, but this... Is something I would watch. This has everything that I want to watch in it, right? Yeah. I don't. I not know for some reason late night doesn't work. The, it, take us through the format of it when you pitched it. Like you know, uh, it, it's you in a docu series with a camera crew. How many guys do you have traveling? Such you? a small crew, one camera. You're like the Anthony Bourdain of comedy, right? And you're going I, into these countries. Yes, right? and,
1: and it's a, I have a one camera, one sound guy, and two producers, and, and that's and, it. Myself. And what countries? We started in Turkey. We went through um, Jordan. <laughs> not pa-
0: traditionally funny places.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's what I was right? looking for. And, right? and all my life I've been looking for comedy in places where it's not really supposed to be funny, right. even Seinfeld. Right. Um, so we went, to, we went through the Middle East. We went from Turkey to Jordan to Palestine to Israel to uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and Saudi Arabia was fascinating and that's where I met Amy Rocco, the woman in the veil. She's a, she has a, about a, a million and a half <laughs> – Followers on Instagram. She is a social media phenomenon. She, she was water, she was doing what? Water skiing on a street. She's water skiing on a street. She does. She has In all kinds veil. of great bits. She does a bit about being jealous of Batman because his veil he could eat because it has got a mouth thing, and he, with her she has to lift the veil up. So how did to you eat. put?
0: How do you put this together when you bring it into Netflix? Did you did you have all this stuff put together? It's like I know, I know if I go there, I'm not just on a fishing expedition. I've got X, Y, and Z to shoot.
1: Yes. One of the things, because I traveled so much with Sasha and doing commercials and all this kind of stuff, I was in a lot of oppressive regimes over the right. last few years. And every place I went, I'd meet comedians. People would know me or know Seinfeld. When we were in Jordan doing Bruno, this is the truth. There would be street sellers on the street of Amman selling bootleg DVDs. Yes. And there would always be the same four items amongst the street <laughs> sellers. There would be Seinfeld bootleg <laughs> DVD, Curb Enthusiasm, bootleg, really? DVD, Borat, <laughs> DVD, bootleg, and Mein Kampf. It was always those four <laughs> together. So it was very – and every place I met, I met comedians. And so I started to Google the craziest places in the world and comedy. And I found that no matter how crazy – Somalia, for instance, where I went – There were always comedians there. And I thought that's – I get to come home. I get accolades. I get rewards for my work, for creating (laughs) havoc and mayhem. But these people have to stay. And I thought I know there is – each of their stories are going to be fascinating. They're in war zones. They've been through all kinds of incredible torture and trauma. So I thought I know there's a kind of a compelling juxtaposition Mm -hmm. between the seriousness and the tragedy and the comedy. And I knew that was a kind of a a hook for a show.
0: You're listening to Larry Charles, whose new Netflix series is The Dangerous World of Comedy. We're going to hear a little more about it when we come back. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer with your car from True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from local True car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together, the two of you. You can even hug if you want. You can ask questions, get the answers you need so there's no surprises and simply leave your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a new better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today you're listening to spike's car radio and we're back That's a Jerry. Do you ever get Jerry voice from writing his voice too much? I've got a, He's the last guy I really wrote a lot for, and I'm stuck in a Jerry voice.
1: I have never had that problem. actually. <laughs> no. But no, you know no. where you're right. He's the one well, I'm I got. stuck in Larry's voice. That's you, you why you have a Larry yeah, voice. Yeah, you
0: don't sound like him though.
1: That's good. In my mind, I do.
0: I have a. Uh, <laughs> I had Letterman voice. I had Louis C.K. voice for a while. Even though I didn't well, write I wrote, for wrote Louis, with Bob Dylan,
1: and I did that. I was Bob Dylan for a while. Wow, that, why uh, were you writing for Bob Dylan? I, we did a movie together actually called uh, "Mast and Anonymous" back. Oh, right. Before all that, and uh, uh, we wrote in a room for two years. And so after a while, I was talking like this. Hey, Larry. (laughs) What is that like? Is he a good writer? He and Larry David are (laughs) very similar people. They are savants. Right. They could only do what they do. Yes. And either you like it or you don't like it. If you don't like it, that's your problem. If they were sitting at a bus stop homeless, they'd be doing the same thing. And that's what it was writing with Larry, and that's what it was writing with Bob. Very single-minded, very sure of their vision, um, very wise in what they were willing to share – Life-changing experiences. Working with Bob Dylan was absolutely yeah. a life-changing experience.
0: I remember him being at one of our uh, Letterman anniversary dinners in some <laughs> fancy restaurant there. And, you know, we we got to meet him and he says, hey, he's just like that. it's just very low-key, he, it doesn't really say anything, right? <laughs> and then the uh, one of those uh, flouncy models came over that Dave used to have on the show. And she walks up and he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? <laughs> he <laughs> he's quoting into... <laughs> 15th century poetry. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was just any nerdy guy like we were. <laughs> hey, oh, hi, oh. it's really nice to meet <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I went, wow, look at the power that girl has. Yeah. He's a human. Um, let's talk about Sasha Baron Cohen. Then yes. we're going to get back to your series. So I have more questions about of course. that. Um, how... You know, I don't know, Sash. I'm a huge fan of his. And I, you know, when I watch his comedy, you know, Who is America? I love his commitment, you know, uh, in pre-production and post-production to not letting any secrets out. But right. I imagine myself not being part of such a production because I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. How, you know, what is he like to work with, you know, wh- when he's walking in with just the germ of an, of an idea? Like even Borat, you know, what a, what does he say to you? Is, is this just a, a cone of silence between the two of you and we're slowly going to let production know about it as we book. How how does that work? Let's stick with Barat yeah. All right.
1: Well, well, Borat is a little different right. than the Showtime show because Borat, remember, he was doing in England already on right. his uh, Ali G show. So he knew that character inside out. He used to wear – he had to wear the underwear of the character, the socks of the character, <laughs> the jewelry of the character. He had to have the right stuff in his pockets. Is he, he talking like that between takes? Not, there, there are no takes. There's no take. Right. There's You're one just take. Going and and also he is talking like that from the time he comes out of the hotel room. <laughs> He is Borat all day. I felt he should have been nominated for an Academy Award <clears throat> yes. because he broke the mold of acting. Yeah, He was standing next to people three feet away, one foot away yeah. a- as a fictional character and they have to believe that he's real. That's truly acting. So when I would have arguments with him, I would argue with Borat. Right. So he was always Borat the <laughs> entire hard. day. It was exhausting, but he was Borat. But
0: aren't you having to explain uh, movie production to Borat? <laughs> to I say, I'm, look, this is how a movie works, and I want to get it out. Does Borat understand that? Well, a lot of, a lot
1: of what I would do is explain it to the people that we were about to target. I right. would say, look, he comes from another country. We're a freelance crew. I just met him. Right. I, I don't see. know very much about him. I know that he doesn't know anything about American culture. Please be patient. He's not comfortable with the language. And people would be really patient. With and them.
0: how, you know, I've done a little bit of Hidden Camera before with Jamie Kennedy and on my own show and it's always really tense when yeah. you're pulling one over on somebody, right? Especially when cameras are rolling and you guys are in, a, could be in a dangerous situation. Yes. Is that comfortable for you as the director or did you no. get used to it? Or? No,
1: the anxiety is overwhelming Yeah, but I learned to ride it out and know that as much as my anxiety wants me to put a halt to it <laughs> and just say stop, please stop, I know that the scene is just getting started when my anxiety is rising. <laughs> yes. So I have to kind of ride that out in order to get the gold. And he's
0: know? not going to let you call a cut, any not at all. No, no, does, no. That right? would, there are no like there I said no cuts, no, when right. you
1: when a scene fails, yep.
0: you have to leave the city. <laughs> So it's a big deal when something doesn't I, work out. Were there things that we didn't get to see in any of these movies that oh were my just, God. Too far, just
1: too there far? There are um, – there's a six-hour cut of Borat for instance. OK? <laughs> That's how much material there is. Now, wait, some, wait.
0: Where is the six-hour cut of Borat? There's, they're
1: around. You know, they're around. <laughs> I uh, can rent that? You can't. I wish you could. I wanted to Who put has it out. That? I want to watch that this I would weekend. love to put it out. You would love it Do also. you have it? I have it like on a VHS tape or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, We'll hang out. Um, it's, you'd love it though also. I've often said that there's stuff – he wanted everything to be the funniest it could possibly be and that's what's left in the movie. Yeah. But there was stuff that was outrageous and fascinating and crazy that maybe wasn't quite as funny like him – Uh, at at a civil war reenactment thinking that the war was really going on and trying to rape he's trying to rape dead soldiers people who are acting as dead soldiers and he's pulling their you know
0: we have stuff like that long scenes like that wow now why didn't that make the movie look at Will he's cracking up in there that's hilarious Or not that rape is hilarious you misunderstand but in this context listener in this context
1: yes and this is soldier on soldier rape which is kind of historically (laughs) accurate it's a little different it's a little different he's raping corpses
0: he's raping corpses he's not raping and I get the feeling that went on for like 20 or 30 minutes
1: usually because it took hours to set up and then hours you you couldn't just go in the middle of it hey we're tired we're (laughs) leaving so you had to play it all out so it was like a whole day sometimes
0: we gotta release this We've yes, got to, yes. We talked to him put it out. He will I wish I knew him. He won't I'm listen such to me. a huge fan. Such a huge fan. I even like when it, when who is America was announced, just the way it was announced, the whole timing of it. Guess what I've been doing yeah, for the yeah. last year. And the problem, problem that he has Did you with, work
1: on that? No, I did not. No. And the problem that he has with that show, I mean, the the show is great, but mm-hmm. the problem that he has is with Boran and Bruno and Ali G, he had years to cultivate those characters. Yes. These characters he's having to formulate much more quickly. Quickly, right. And has, they're a little bit broader because of that. The details aren't quite as worked out as they would have been in his usual process. Right. Which is very painstaking.
0: yeah. I, I, but I also thought the environment, the political environment right now is a little trickier, right? Every, every comedy usually has a framework that you're trying to work within. And, and this one is so divided that you have to be careful now how you play those political jokes. Yeah. Because right? it touches notes that are unintention- Unintentional. You'll hit a note here where you didn't mean to. Yes. And it looks wrong. You yes. Know? Well,
1: even the difference between Borat and Bruno kind of illustrated that for us. Because right. Borat was an innocent character. People were willing to be patient and forgiving of him. Right. Bruno, because he was gay openly gay immediately hostility right it was a much darker movie because the treatment of bruno in that movie is much darker a lot of violence (laughs) a lot of threats a lot of jostling and hassling Mm -hmm. and hate and so the movie took on a much darker hue because of that
0: yeah I even noticed it with Michael Moore's last movie that, you know, there's just so much of this stuff out there right now that he used to be the guy we'd wait for his movie to come out. You'd watch it and go, wow, I just learned something. But there's so much out there right now. It's kind of hard to, uh, you know, get into that theater. Every day
1: careens us in a different direction. Yeah,
0: right. And we're, you know. We just want to be entertained. Sometimes it's funny. I, I was watching, it and I really liked that he was just—he was trying to make people laugh. It didn't quite matter what he was highlighting on either side, right? right. That's what I appreciated about Who's America. It was just—I'm going for the laughs. Yes. And it, and there's so many people. You know, even when I say what I just said about Michael Moore, that will come out and accuse me of being some lefty comedian. <laughs> and I'm always like, you know, I'm not. I'm a registered independent because on purpose. Because I just like to, you know, reluctantly aim at whoever stepped in shit. That's how comedy works for me. It always has. You know, we can update to David Letterman's monologues. It's right. all you know, to my own monologues. It's just about who's stepping in shit. I don't care what side you're on. Who's the fo- who? Who's going to get me the most laughs? Well, right? comedy
1: has that aspect of journalism to it, also, especially for working for Letterman, are you doing daily I, I worked on the Arsenio Hall show. Right. So you're doing those daily jokes, you're kind of going through all the newspapers, you're reading whatever right. to try to get material. There's a desperation to that also. So you're grabbing anything you yeah. can. Any target is really available to you. So it's a lot of pressure actually, but that's the thing. You you have a kind of
0: a journalistic approach to it. Well, and then tomorrow it's gone. Yeah, and you were back then, you know, I was telling my wife about this. Back then there were there would be weeks when nothing would be happening. Absolutely. There'd be nothing you you know, the political cycle was two weeks. It was around elections. <laughs> then you never talked about it yeah. again, unless Bill Clinton got a blowjob, and then all right, here we go. We're right. going to mine that square inch down to China, <laughs> right? And then there would be weeks where just nothing's happening. Yeah, you know. And you have to manufacture a whole monologue, and yeah. that's where you would get into the weird stuff. I, I liked it, it but we're not—we're nowhere near that anymore. It seemed like you, life
1: was good. There would be periods where life was
0: actually okay. You
1: didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah, now right.
0: It's, it's not like that anymore. Now no. it's crazy, and we're yeah. kind of burned out yeah. on all of it. All right, let's get back to the show. Sure. Sure. All right. So, well, it's one
1: of the reasons I did the show was I felt like the Trump era uh, is was kind of isolating us to a large degree. You're career. right. And I've I've spent a lot of time overseas, and I've met a lot of these people, and I thought this is a world that we don't know anything about. And we would really be cool with this world if we got to know it better, because we'd see how much these people are like us.
0: You're absolutely right. Because I, you know, when I was watching your stuff, I was going, God. In my, my first impression of these countries, is they are bombed out husks of they you know, are. With people just barely surviving. But then, as you watch it, you go, no, here's a, there's a culture there that's thriving, whatever condition the country's in, and they're they're having a life despite what's going on with their regime, kind of like us. You know? Yes, they, and they maybe they're embarrassed like we are, yes. but we're doing our thing. Yes, right? very
1: very true. Right, very uh, true. And, and you know, it, it reminds me that my agenda going in was what we were just talking about this journalistic quality. I thought I would go in and meet satirists in all these countries who had critiques of the government, and their comedy was really. Uh, Uh, criticizing the government. And there is a lot of that going on, obviously. But there was just as much comedy in these war-torn, strife-torn countries, violence-ridden countries that was about healing and about... Lightening the load for a minute right. and healing people's anxiety and trauma for a moment. And I was really struck and really moved by that aspect of comedy and that power of comedy to be able to ha- play that role.
0: Are there, are there places where the comedians are in danger? Did you run into that? Uh, you- uh, absolutely.
1: I mean, virtually every country, th- there was, a, I met a guy in Saudi Arabia uh, uh, named, uh, uh, Yaha, uh, Fahad Albutari. He is known as the Seinfeld of Saudi Arabia. He, okay. is, he is why? He he's he looks a little bit like him. He does kind of obs- I'll do a show with him right now. He's Bring one of the in. first uh, uh stand-ups in, in Saudi Arabia wow. to, and he's one of the first to talk about observational type of stuff. He looks like Seinfeld <laughs> and he is now in jail. Oh Okay, and his wife also, who was one of the driving activists there, female driving activists, she is also in jail. So that's real. In Somalia, I met a comedian.
0: Was he what, like arrested, like Lenny Bruce, like he was on stage and he? In one Saudi, joke Arabia, too they, far, in Saudi just, Arabia,
1: you're just gone. You just disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. What happened to him? He, and it's you know, it's not a, it's not the system that we have yeah, here, right? It's a Khashoggi system. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the Khashoggi system. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Somalia, which is the most dangerous place I went to by far.
0: Why uh, is that dangerous? Besides the extreme poverty and the pirates, and just
1: right, every there's no government, there's no government, there's no money, right? Um, There's no currency, literally. Um, There are many, many factions, all heavily armed. You don't know whose side who's on. Right. Um, The violence is so commonplace. Everybody is armed, and I met a comedian
0: who was uh, (laughs) wait. Well, how did you do that? (laughs) <laughs> How did you meet a comedian? I, back in the day, I, was, I traveled through Cambodia where there was no infrastructure. Anymore. I didn't meet any comedians. Right. <laughs> no we, one spoke the language. How did you meet?
1: It was very, very tough to connect. First of all, it was very tough to get to Somalia yeah. in the first place. We were in Nigeria. You can't just fly like you <laughs> can from LA to New York, from the west coast of Africa right. to the east coast. No. You have to leave the continent. So we would have to fly to Turkey. And then catch a plane to, like, Ghana. Okay. And then take, like, a... And um, then you land. Yeah, and then you land say, in bring Somalia. bring your comedians. Right, exactly. <laughs> and what do they say? They're all in one place, essentially, because <laughs> there's are? only one place that's safe. There is a radio station there, which is where they do most of their work. They have a little TV show. They have some radio stuff. They do social media kind of stuff. Wow. There's not a lot of live stand-up in Mogadishu, as you can well imagine. <laughs> um, but one of the comedians was assassinated there oh, also. I mean, actually just assassinated. Right. And uh, that is not – the guy that I met in uh, Iraq, uh, Ahmad Al-Bashir, who hosts the Daily Show of Iraq. Right. Um, he's been tortured, um, jailed. He has been – had his family wiped out. You know, this is this is real, real consequences wow. to the stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. So I met a lot of people like that. that yeah, almost all of them stakes. are affected – by their circumstances and, and what, yet continue on and
0: what is it that triggers the government against the uh, John Stewart of Iraq when he's out there Do he just makes one it's one joke too far that the government gets upset exactly. about exactly and and-
1: he's an equal opportunity offender as the best comedians are right. he makes fun of ISIS too and they're not happy with him either oh, Jesus. but the, uh, the Iraqi <laughs> government which is very corrupt and much more yeah. corrupt than we ever he- really hear about mm-hmm. And the Kurds, there's so many different factions in all these war-torn countries that we only get the most simplistic details about them. But in truth, it's a very complicated picture. And his job, he feels, is to clarify it, make fun of it, and give the audience <clears> hope <throat> as well, which is another aspect of this that you don't see as much like in American comedy. Well, is he going to be safe
0: when this comes out? I mean, he, it- can't
1: do the, he can't even do the show in, in, in uh, Iraq anymore. Right. He has
0: to do the show in a different country. Is there Netflix in Iraq? Is there Iraqi Netflix? I don't know <laughs> I Somalia. Hope so. I don't <laughs> know they love the show. Netflix. <laughs> I, I profiled a few other Ira- Iraqi comedians as Boy, well. Boy, this sounds like a great show. It's fun, man. It's really cool. And how and many episodes did you make? Four. Four, yeah. Oh, we got to make more of these because there to. are plenty of places, right? Yes. What a great idea! Yeah. yeah. Wow, this is really good for them because you know there's been such a glut of stand-up comedy specials on Netflix. Right. You know, Jerry and I were just talking about it. You know, you really have to do something different. This really sounds like it. Please say hello to Jerry. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Hello, tell,
1: Jerry. Tell him that I love him. I, you know, I, I respect. You're him. not a Jerry
0: guy. I'm not He's a Jerry guy. He's not interested guy. in Larry Charles. <laughs> <laughs> that I know. I understand that. I He's out here that. all the time. Come <laughs> driving with us. You, you, are you a car guy? Do you like cars I have, I have a
1: Maserati right now. You I do? Mean, he, well, here's a story with me and Jerry and cars. <laughs> okay. I used to have a Saab, okay? Oh, wait a
0: minute. Yes. I know this story. Laurel Canyon? Yes. You're, you're the racer? Yes. Oh, my God. Tell every, the story. I every, know this story. Every,
1: at the end of every show, when yes. we finished taping, we would go to Jerry's Deli to yep. eat, where Andy Kaufman was sometimes, by the way, yep. bussing tables. mm mm-hmm. um, and when the, when the meal was over, he would get in his Porsche, and yep. I would get in the Saab. We yep. both lived in West Hollywood, <laughs> and we would try to race across Laurel Canyon. He would give me a head start. <laughs> yes. He let me go all the way from Ventura to um, Mulholland. Oh, my God. Okay? And I would be going, and I would mm. get, be getting to Mulholland. and going, wow, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. And I would see the lights coming behind me <laughs> of the Porsche. And just as I got to Mulholland, he would pass me. Was this the black car, the black 88 911? It might have been. I'm not sure. I, he had a couple of different and ones he was playing with at that time. He used time. to
0: tell me about this, that you yeah. and Larry, he, he and Larry Charles used to race. I, that's back when Jerry did wacky stuff like that. Yeah. I, I lived on Franklin when I started writing for the show. Whenever I'd bump into him, he'd co- be coming from Doheny. We'd look next to each other <laughs> and we would race. And one time he drove so recklessly, he had this turquoise 993 turbo, you know, or maybe it was, I don't even know what it was, but he went so fast around a blind corner and yeah. the show was so big at that time yeah. that I. I just stopped. I said, I'm not doing this anymore because if you get killed or kill somebody and I'm the guy, Yeah, you know, I can't be the end of Seinfeld. I but wish, I, I, wish so... I
1: had that thought. That would have probably been a good thought for
0: me to have. I never, <laughs> no, I never on, crossed my that mind. No, early on, wasn't that show. Yeah, yeah. But by the time I got to the show, there were helicopters over this. <laughs> it really was a big deal and it really would have mattered. Now, that's really funny. You were the original Seinfeld racer. Yes, I was. And now you've got the Maserati. What yes. is it, a, a Quattroport? No, or, I have a Ghibli. The Ghibli. Yes. Well, it doesn't seem like you. I put I you in old it's, it's kind. It's not of ZZ Top kind. I had, a, I, had a Lincoln, cars. I had a Lincoln
1: Town Car, and then I had a, a Cadillac Fleetwood before that. Wow! But uh, the Fleetwood—it's t- just too much work. Wow! And the Town Car also was just—it was just too much work after a while. So, yeah. But this is too much work, also. <laughs> Directing not more, too much work. More work, you know. Yeah. Well, so I don't know I, what's going to come next.
0: Uh, and when you're doing curb? Um, that seems like a hard show to do because isn't Larry just fleshing out the scenes on a board and then, you know, how much is that? I've never really, uh, you know, asked him or anybody on that show. How much is scripted out beforehand? Well, it's, a, it's a, like a 10 or 11 page outline. Right. And so you have pretty
1: detailed paragraphs explaining what needs to happen in the show. And right. occasionally within those paragraphs, we'll even put in specific lines that need to be said. Right. So there is a kind of a real guide for the scene. Then you have the good luck of casting properly. And Mm -hmm. then you put Larry and the right people together in that scene with that goal. And generally speaking, you're going to get there. It might take a couple of iterations, but you will eventually get there. Everybody's got the right instinct and moving in the Mm -hmm. right direction. So it works out. Now, when it doesn't work out, which is occasionally it does not work out, then you really are stuck because it's it's hard to pull funny out of that situation. And then usually it's because – and this happened in Seinfeld too. The scene is wrong somehow. Something about the scene is wrong. The dynamic of that scene, the chemistry, the balance. Right, of Right, but that you have scene. an audience
0: there; it's different. Exactly. And, and yeah. Here you don't. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. We used to we used to rewrite the the, the scenes in front of the audience sometimes too.
0: Right on Seinfeld. Yeah. But on Curb, yeah, there's sure. nothing there, so it's extra hard. Your search on Curb, is...
1: sometimes we went back. What was brilliant about Larry and what he learned from Seinfeld was he built in a reshoot schedule. Right. So when we go into editing and things didn't work, we could oh, go out and reshoot you go. it. Oh. We always that's could reshoot.
0: Good. Yeah. Very important. It's part really amazing the way he does that too. He's, yeah. he's got a show that's uncancelable, and just he does it when he wants to do it. <laughs> and he's for as really, long as he wants. Schedule, for as long as he wants,
1: right. I, well, I was doing Entourage and that at the same time. Entourage and Curb for a season at the same time. Right. And we had to do like f- four days on Entourage to do an episode where Larry always had eight days. You know, so the difference in his schedule was that we could really look mm-hmm. for stuff and let things sort of ferment naturally.
0: Were you? I remember meeting about Entourage early on. Were you there at the very beginning of that? I yeah. remember going to CAA yeah. and meeting there and not really going? Wait, what you're Maybe, doing? Maybe
1: I to? no. I came. I came once they made the pilot. Right. Uh, they weren't happy with the
0: pilot, I and see. they brought me in, and right. that's when I started working on that show. Wow, that's a great show. Well, what a yeah. resume you have, Larry. Charles. Weird. <laughs> very eclectic. You're very accomplished, but it's all
1: led to this show.
0: It's all led to here: spikes, comedy, and car <laughs> radio. You got it, Will. When you do the description for this podcast, you've got to put that in. This is the guy who used to street race, illegal street race, Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> up Laurel Canyon, and thankfully you're all still alive. Well, yes. thank you for coming in and chatting with us. This My has pleasure. been a great deal of fun. Again, the show is called Larry Charles' Dangerous World of Comedy. It's up on Netflix right now. And uh, it's Spike endorsed. I'm, uh, I'm going to watch every episode. And, uh, and I want them to make more of them. I'll make sure to mention that next time in there. Me Thanks. too. Thanks for coming in, Larry. And I My will, pleasure. of course, tell Jerry... That you want to hang out. <laughs> come driving with us. I always say to people I like on the show, "Come driving with us." We'll call you up, but then they never come. I don't want to sit in the back seat. That's why. <laughs> well, you take. I, a ca- I have to call a shotgun. You take a car. You take a car. We all have cars oh, laying see. around. You I just see. take somebody's car. You would understand this. You're a dude. You just, you just take a drive, and we 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 land at a place, and we have coffee, and we talk about cars, uh, comedy, and wives. I do that on my hour. own. I do, that, <laughs> right. I do that by myself. No. But again, you're a Larry guy, so it may not work for you. Well, Jerry you know, guys, it works for Larry guys, I'm not so sure about. You
1: know Larry had the Porsche. You know that whole story, that Jerry got a the do. Porsche. He didn't
0: want it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. He had, uh, and he drove the Prius for the longest time. Yes. I gave him shit about it. Maybe that's why he's not.
1: I went with it. them. Uh, Jerry took Larry initially, when the show first got picked <laughs> yeah. up, to Fontana. We went to Fontana. To buy Larry a Lexus, yeah, and I, I remember taking that trip. It was like the three of us going yeah. to, uh,
0: you know, buy a Lexus. That's that hilarious, fun. yeah. <laughs> and how did that? What do you? What? How did that look? What did, what did Larry need hand-holding for? The deal part or the car picking part? Well, you know, Jerry relishes. The, all
1: those accounts, Jerry yeah, can't stand them. So right. he would not have done it if Jerry hadn't taken him by the
0: hand and done it. And he got him that Lexus. Yes, and, I, and the Porsche was the famous one-day Porsche. One right? day he could I'm take getting it. rid of it. I yeah, couldn't stand couldn't it. And what it. didn't he like about it? He
1: didn't like to see himself in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then I when I I saw him in the turns out in the palisades in a little black prius and I saw him had dinner with him shortly after I said you know it doesn't look right larry it just <laughs> doesn't you know all that you've accomplished and all the money you have and that's it? The black Prius? It's got to be. And then, you know, they invent the Tesla, and now he's, he's probably one of He likes to be
1: able to shift, though. Like, I was in front of him one time going into Radford, and mm-hmm. he made an illegal left turn using the Lexus, <laughs> and a cop pulled him over. And suddenly, I watched him. He became, it was a great acting experience. He became a little old man, and, like, he, he just told him, all, he didn't know what was going <laughs> on. Oh, sorry, was, I'm lost. And the guy let him go. <laughs> really? You know? so he wants, he, <clears throat> when you're in a Porsche, you can't really fake it like that.
0: No, you're right. You can't, though I've gotten away with it. Like, <laughs> I've seen. Cherry get pulled over a bunch of times, and they just let him go. Yeah. Like, nice well, that, to meet you, Mr. Seinfeld. Right, Mr. Farishton, come over here for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and then I get the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> let me just ask you one more question. Yes, I know sir. I already said goodbye. But one right. more question about curb and liar. Of course, um, where is your barometer? On you know, I know people will come up to Larry and go, oh, and and they're well meaning, but they're, Larry, you're such an asshole. <laughs> you're, I, you know, I model my whole life after you. You're such an asshole. I love you, right? Which is kind of a rude thing to say to Larry. The the character of Larry on Curb, in my opinion, is a, is pretty exaggerated, right? It is a it's
1: uh, it's an aspect that Larry aspect. can channel,
0: right? You know,
1: right. he is. He sees those situations coming at him all the time, but he doesn't rea- react the way right. he does on Curb. He writes it down in the notebook. This is becomes, what, that, see,
0: that's one of the tips he gave me when I was learning how to write that show. He's like, what did you want to say? What did you want exactly, to do? Exactly, right. exactly.
1: And that's pretty much what he does. Now he's in a position because he's such an icon now that he can actually behave like that in real life as well. But initially it was about really getting to that point and then writing down the idea of yeah. what would happen. <sighs>
0: Yeah. Do you know how much money we could all make if we brought that show back right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's billions. Yes. Right? Didn't everybody's? I just read uh, Kelsey Grammer's coming back with his show, whatever it was, that we that would beat us in the right. the Emmys every year yet. That's what we
1: stopped going, by the way. So you we stopped going. Try to remember going. the name
0: of that show. Try to yeah. remember an episode yeah. of that show, yeah. my friends. Exactly. And they're coming back with that. Can you imagine if we walked into NBC right now with Larry and Jerry and just said, we just want to do six more. <laughs> what would happen to all of us? How big that would be? But it's never going to happen, folks. It's never going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is all you get, a little uh, fond John, recollection Remember, tone. John and
1: Georgia did.
0: <laughs> what John and George are dead? That's right. They're yeah, dead. There can't
1: be no Beatles, oh, no Beatles
0: reunions. There's got to be something. You know, it's the next year's the 30th anniversary of the show. They have all of these big plans wow. of, in, in New York. No one's They're got gonna... in
1: touch with me about anything, by the way. <laughs> I've been
0: talking to the folks at Sony and hearing about it at least uh, tangentially, and you know, offering my help in any, any way. I heard there was going to be a, an, a, an apartment maybe set up and some other mm. stuff. I've always advocated. And I, and I, you've probably had this experience and definitely as a director you know what I'm talking about. When you go to the Hollywood Bowl and you watch E.T. or you watch one of these old movies with your family and you you have this collective we all love this thing and everybody applauds for every big line or the you know they have them on the Forest Lawn Cemetery sometimes. Right. Immediately I think of Seinfeld and you know a two or three places in the summertime, we, we get Hollywood Bowl, we have some of us, the actors come up, we run three episodes, we have uh, the guy who did the funny sound, I'm spacing his name right now. Jonathan. Jonathan yeah. Wolf, go, bam, 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 you know, like, that's our symphony. And we well, have a live event for the fans of this show, you know, We're not, not making money, but we just, we, we so we can all kind of hang out together that is a better idea than a reboot that's that is a fantastic (laughs) idea idea, right
1: because i will tell you i have been involved over the last few years in first of all going to see friends and families or screenings of borat yeah hearing the audience laugh live but i've also done a couple of these events and i'm sure you have too where we've shown curb live or seinfeld's live and heard the roaring laughter right greater than any laughter you get from most movie comedies and yes I think it's a fantastic idea to bring we people together to see, rather than sitting in your house and watching it to see it as a mass audience and responding yeah. I think I think it would be right uh, and you uh, bring gigantic. the cast
0: up you bring some of the writers I mean, absolutely that's a ET, great idea it was, they had a video of John Williams in his living room introducing it and we were all swooning yeah. over the guy and you
1: could do it for charity it doesn't have to be for money but exactly. it, would
0: be, it would be a tremendous event It'd give us a moment to get together with yeah, the yeah great anyway, idea there that's there you great go. Idea. I love it. Wow. I feel so good that Larry yeah. Charles just blessed my ideas. Oh, I so, think it's great. All right. We're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. Okay, I happen to luck. know the guy running Sony, and I'm going to make <laughs> him do it, and then I'm going to make Jerry, and I'm going to make Larry do it. This has been Larry Charles and Spike Burst, and so long until next week on Spike's Car Radio. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or Podcast PodcastOne.com. It's time to get your fitness on with the nation's premier personal trainer and wellness coach, Ben Greenfield, each week on Ben Greenfield Fitness here on Podcast One. But I want to show you some of the tips that I use to put on muscle quickly when I was bodybuilding and do it completely naturally. Need more fitness advice? Join Ben this week as he meets up with podcast legend Adam Carolla on The Adam Carolla Show. Download Ben Greenfield Fitness every Wednesday, And don't miss Ben on the Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope that was helpful. I'll catch you next time.